Tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis 29 and 30, continuing our journey through the book of Genesis. I titled this, Now I Will Praise You. I based the title off of the backstory of Jacob's fourth son, Judah, and his birth. And the key verse of chapter 29 for me As I read through it, this is the verse that stands out to me where it's talking about Leah and it says, Genesis 29, 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord for she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So that's complete verse, but now I will praise the Lord. We'll get into what made Leah say that, but we find that Jacob now making his way over to Uncle Laban's home, he's got to get a little payback for a bit of the life that he's led up to this point where he has been a supplanter, a deceiver, a conniver, and he's got to meet his match with Uncle Laban, and they're going to go at it, and he will discover that Uncle Laban will change things up on him on a moment's notice. And later on, as far as wages is concerned, we'll just get into that in chapter 30 tonight. But as it plays out in the wages that he worked for, there's a point to where Jacob says, and you've changed my wages 10 times. So he will meet his match with Uncle Laban. But that begins the story tonight as we look at Here in Genesis 29, the account of Jacob as he makes his way to the land of the people of the east, to the home of his forefathers and that of his mother, Rebekah, and also his grandfather, Abraham and Sarah, all coming from this area. And so we read in verses one through eight. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of that well they watered the flocks a large stone was on the well's mouth now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth and Jacob said to them my brethren where are you from And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flock are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. So years before, Abraham's eldest servant, uh, possibly Eliezer, but he's not named in chapter 24, he came to the city of Nahor to search out a wife for Isaac. And he came to the well of the city. And when he came to the well of the city, he 
prayed to God that he would direct his path and that a woman would come out and not only offer him water for himself, but also for his camels. We went through that chapter in Genesis 24. Rebecca would be that woman who would come out and give Abraham's eldest servant water, but also water his camels. We went through that chapter. I read about camels and how much they can drink at one time. If they're really thirsty, it could be like 150 gallons of water. So this was some watering going on. But he prayed that God would direct his steps by sending a young woman who would become the bride of Isaac. And Genesis 24:15 says, Behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now Jacob arrives, a different well it seems, but he arrives where... They were preparing to water the flocks. And it was near the city of Haran. And he also now would see his future bride, Rachel, coming out to meet him. And he would learn that she is his uncle's daughter and actually his mom's niece. And so kind of a family thing going on here. And by the time Jacob arrived at Haran, And he would live with Uncle Laban for the next 20 years. That journey was around 400 miles to get there. He entered the region and he noticed that the well was covered where the shepherds and the shepherdess were gathering with their flocks. We must remember that the shepherds, the shepherdess often were young boys and girls watching their uh, families' flocks. They could be preteens or teens. And perhaps this is the reason why they were waiting for someone to come to remove the stone from the well's mouth that they could water their flocks. Now, up to this time, all we know about Jacob is that he was the younger twin brother of Esau. And unlike his brother, Jacob was a mild man, according to scripture. He liked to dwell in tents. Now, I, I keep I thought about that today as I was reading that. He likes to dwell in tents. Esau was a man of the field. He liked to go out and hunt and stuff. So he probably spent a lot of time sleeping under the stars when he was out and about. But Jacob, you know, I kind of don't blame him. I don't I like my bed. I don't dwell in a tent. I dwell in a house. Maybe it would be said of me that John was a mild man. He liked to dwell in houses. It's like, yeah, I do. It's nice to have a a bed to come home to and a a home that's your own. But we also learned that he was cunning, Jacob. He was deceiving. He actually deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. But now we begin to learn that Jacob had a great understanding of livestock. And this only at this point from him saying, Look, it's not time to gather the cattle in. Water the sheep and go out and feed them. There's a lot of daylight out there, boys. But we will understand by the time we get through chapter 30 that he knew a lot about livestock. Perhaps he had been a shepherd of his own father's sheep. 
No doubt he had learned these things from his father, Isaac. In Genesis 26, 12 through 14, it tells us, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. He had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and a great number of servants. And so there was plenty of opportunity for Jacob to learn uh, to be someone who would be a shepherd, to work with cattle and the animals that they had at that time. He will learn a lot, but he also at this point knows a lot. So we find I titled this section verses 9 through 12, Love at First Sight. And we see that that is what will become of this, although he doesn't quite mention that at this point. We pick up in verse 9, it says, Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then he kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. So he got pretty busy here, Jacob, seeing Rachel and that she was family. And it's really the beginning of what begins a beautiful love story. As I said, Jacob is going to find his fill of deception and scheming with Uncle Laban. But the first seven years, it seemed that things worked out fairly well for Jacob because he fell in love with Rachel. And as we will see in a few verses from now, he will make an arrangement that she would be his wife. So when she came to the well, he immediately removed the stone. Now, we don't know how large the stone was. Again, uh, whether people from the city came out to remove the stone, it was their custom. Whether the shepherds that were there were just too small to roll the stone back. But Jacob handled it, watered the sheep, and then let Rachel know who he was and that he was family. And she would go off to tell her father that Jacob was there. Now, again, we learn of Jacob. I'd mentioned already in Genesis 25:27 that he was a mild man dwelling in tents. Again, don't have a problem with that. I like to dwell in a house myself. Yet the Hebrew word that's translated as mild can also be translated as complete. So a lot of times we look at Jacob and we almost look at him as a soft man. But I like the idea of that perhaps Jacob, not quite there yet, but he becomes a complete man. At this point, he's not complete. His walk with the Lord God of Israel is just beginning. The Lord had appeared to him in a dream. The Lord had spoke to him. The Lord had promised to go with him and to make him prosper and bring him back to the promised land. And Jacob had pledged, Lord, if you'll do all these things that you've pledged to me, then when I return to this place, to Bethel, the house of God, I will give you 10% of all that I have. And so right now, Jacob is in that testing ground. 
The Lord had promised to do certain things for Jacob, and Jacob is saying, Lord, if you fulfill these words, then I will also do this. So we're kind of in that testing ground. He's not there yet. He's got a long way to go, actually. But we do see that he was a man who had strength. In reality, it was only through his faith in God that Jacob would ultimately find that true completeness. And it's true for us as well. And the Bible tells us in Colossians 2.10 that you are complete in him. In other words, we are complete in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I was reading through this, just thinking of the shepherds and the shepherdess, Rachel there, it caused me to think of the beginning of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. But it also caused me to think of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who said in John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he makes this covenant, this contract with Uncle Laban, a seven-year contract that he might be able to marry Rachel that she would be his wife. And remember, this was the purpose that mom and dad had sent him away to the homeland, to the people of the East, where their family originally came from, that he could find a bride for himself here. Now, I didn't quite map out, and maybe I'll get into it a little bit later, but I was reading one of the commentators today, and at the beginning of uh, chapter 29, He said that Jacob at this point was 88 years old when he went on this journey. Now we think of, look at this, Jacob falling in love with Rachel, a couple of uh, teenage kids or 20-something. Well, Rachel would have been young, but we don't think of an 88-year-old man doing all these things. Of course, he would live a bit longer. He would die, um, I believe, at 137 years, so he had a bit of time ahead of him yet. He would spend 20 years with Uncle Laban, but he was not a spring chicken. Let's just put it that way. He's been around for a while. Verse 13 through 20, it says, Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him. He embraced him and he kissed him and he brought him to his house. And so he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? So he stayed with Uncle Laban for a month, but apparently he was working for Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban perhaps felt a little guilty about this, thinking, you know, it's great having Uh, Jacob do all this work for me, but because you're my relative, maybe if he wasn't a relative, he's like, go ahead, stay, work away. I'll give you your three squares, three square meals a day. And, but for Jacob, he asked, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Verse 16. Now we are introduced to Laban's other daughter, Leah. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had, Leah's eyes were delicate, 
But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I should give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And here's the beautiful part of this. Verse 20, the very second half of that verse. They seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Now, for the seven years, I doubt if they were, you know, dating the whole time like we do in Western culture. It was a bit different back then. But no doubt they had some interaction during that time. But love developed, at least from Jacob toward Rachel. Now, Leah's eyes being delicate, it comes from a Hebrew word that can also be translated as soft or weak. So her eyes, soft or weak, may be describing the condition of herself, but we'll discover that Leah was not a weak woman. She would give birth to six sons and also a daughter, at least seven children. And I say at least, we know that Jacob had 12 sons, We are only told that he had one daughter. Now, me, I'm thinking he ends up with four wives altogether. There are probably a number of little girls running around. Only one is mentioned in Scripture because of something that will take place 20 years later when they get back to the promised land. Rachel, being beautiful in form and appearance, it appears that Leah could not compare to her younger sister. But the Bible reminds us in Proverbs 31:30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. At this point, I'm not saying that either Leah or Rachel feared the Lord. In fact, we'll find that Rachel will rip off her dad's idols when they leave 20 years later and deceive her dad some 20 years after this, wanting to bring the gods of the East back to the promised land. So I'm not saying that these were godly women at this point, but God would work in their lives as part of his plan. So Jacob, the seven years of service to him, it seemed like only a few days. Jacob's great love for her. Time flew. His sacrificial service for the one that he loved so greatly reminds us of Jesus himself and his great love toward us where Jesus said in John 15:13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. So we pick up, I titled this little section, Jacob meets his match. Remember Jacob, heel catcher, deceiver, schemer, He meets his match in Uncle Laban. I've already mentioned that. So in verses 21 through 24, Laban does the old switcheroo on Jacob. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled. The seven years were up. Give me my wife that I might go into her. Come on, man, let's have the wedding. I say man a lot, but there's a president that likes to say that. Now I'm going to start getting away from that. Hey, man, 
Laban gathered together all the men of that place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought him to Jacob. And he went into her, and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to be his daughter Leah as a maid. So Jacob's love story takes a bizarre twist at this point. It's on his wedding night that sly old Laban switches the bride. Now we would think that how in the world could this ever happen? How could you switch a bride and not even know it? In fact, remember Leah, she has delicate eyes. All you had to do is look in her eyes. It's like, it's not you. But we need to think about the customs of the Middle East, and we see it even to this day of the heavy veiling of the women. And perhaps today, like the burqa that the Muslim women wear or the niqab, a veil that covers of the face, but leaves the area around the eyes open, the niqab. But the burqa is the most concealing of the Islamic veils and covering the woman's whole body. We've seen reports of these over in Afghanistan as of late because of what has taken place over there. In Genesis 38, 14 through 16, Jacob's future son, Judah, would also be deceived by a veiled woman who was actually his daughter-in-law, and we could say the same thing. Judah, don't you even know your own daughter-in-law? If you remember the, the account of Tamar, that she originally was chosen by Judah to be the wife of his eldest son, but the Bible doesn't specify, but the eldest son did some wickedness in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord took him, killed him. And then the younger son, next in line, and the leveret marriage system where if the brother died and he fathered no child, that the next brother would take his brother's wife to father a child for him. Well, that son also displeased the Lord, and he died, and so... His last son, he said he's young, he's not full grown yet, just wait. And she waited until she realized that he's never going to give me my husband. And so the Bible tells us in Genesis 38, 14, she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself, sat in the open place on the way to Timnah, and when Judah saw her, he thought that she was a harlot because she had covered her face. All I'm pointing out is that the veiling of women would help this situation work. It, with uh, Judah, he wouldn't even recognize his own daughter-in-law. He would have sex with her, have a, twins, would be birthed from her. And that story is coming here in the book of Genesis but for Jacob, think about this. He was deceived by Laban giving him Leah rather than Rachel and did not know it until the following morning. That had to be a very rude wake-up call as he woke up on his honeymoon nights. Yet 
Just uh, not too long earlier, about 400 miles back, Jacob was the one who dressed up like Esau, that he might deceive his own father. And now he is the one who is being deceived. We can't get around it. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So it came to pass, verses 25 through 30, in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? I'm sure there was some loud talking going on at this point. Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Don't you know I'm the deceiver? (laughs) He got deceived. What goes around comes around. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Verse 27, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service that you will serve with me still for another seven years. So it could be that Laban thought if he doesn't complain, so be it. But if he complains and still wants Rachel to be his wife, then I get another seven years of free labor. This is great. 14 years. And we will learn that while Jacob watched his father-in-law's flocks, both sheep and goats, that Laban became a very wealthy man. So it was a good deal for Uncle Laban. Verse 28, so Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And so he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to be his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. So Jacob went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So with his ruse successful, he was able to get another seven years of labor and also marry off his uh, other daughter, Rachel, the arranged marriage that originally was set forth and originally arranged. Now, I don't know, uh, growing up, in church, hearing these Bible stories, kind of calculating, maybe as a young boy. But notice verse 27. It's pretty clear. Fulfill her week, then we will give you this one also. So one week of marriage with Leah, and then Uncle Laban's calling all the people together and saying, hey, we're going to have a wedding. It's like, yeah, didn't you just have a wedding last week? Yeah, that was for Leah and Jacob. Now it's Jacob and Rachel's turn. So back-to-back weddings, one week apart. But he served for another seven years. So he didn't have to wait the seven years. And so that's me growing up in Sunday school thinking he had to wait another seven years. But this works better in the timeline when you consider the sons growing up. And especially later on when... Joseph is in Egypt. He's the number two man in all of Egypt. And he has dinner with his brothers who don't at this point know that it's Joseph because he's dressed like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian. He 
set all his brothers in order from oldest to youngest. And they were amazed by that. I think they were partly amazed by that is because the baby boys started coming so quickly at this point that they were, what do they call them, Irish twins. They were a lot of closely birthed boys at one point where they were all probably around the same age. In Leviticus 18, I just want us to know that this was not God's plan for a man and a woman, that there should be multiple wives, and especially that a husband should have wives who are sisters. So eventually it will be written in the law. This will come much later, of course. Leviticus 18, 17, and 18 It says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. So a man is not, a Jewish man was not allowed to marry a woman and also the woman's daughter. That was taboo. Nor shall you take her son. He couldn't marry the woman's, if he's got a woman as a wife, he couldn't marry her granddaughter. Sounds sick, but taboo, good taboo in the scripture there. Not to uncover their nakedness. They are near of kin to her, and it is wickedness. Verse 18 is the verse I wanted. Leviticus 18, 18. You shall not take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other still is alive. So the Bible says if the uh, sister dies, your wife dies, you can take her sister as your wife, but you can't have them, two sisters, as wives at the same time. It really causes a rivalry in the household between Leah and Rachel, as we will see. And it begins with the Lord blessing Leah and opening her womb as she quickly, now I say quickly, but natural passage of time, uh, getting pregnant, nine months to deliver, getting pregnant again, nine months to deliver, getting pregnant, nine months to deliver, getting pregnant, nine months to deliver. She has four sons. And this kind of describes all that here. Well before Rachel will even have one son. So probably three to four years, maybe even more passed during this time in these next few verses. 31 through 35, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So we see the heart of Leah in the naming of her sons. Now she's saying, I've been afflicted, this rivalry, this conflict between me and my sister, my husband loving Rachel more than he loves me. Now my husband will love me. I gave him his firstborn son. Verse 33, and again she conceived, bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, verse 34, she conceived, bore a son, and she said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me. And that's the key word in his name, to become attached. 
He will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, he called his name Levi. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Judah means praise. And then she stopped bearing. Having three sons, every son, she's looking for Jacob to be her support, her help, her hope. Now, she says, firstborn son, now my husband will love me. Second born son, she says, the Lord has heard that I am unloved. The third born son, Levi, she says, now my husband will be attached to me. By the time the fourth son comes around, and at least four years, we could easily say has passed at this point, maybe longer, but at least four years, she says, now I'm going to praise the Lord. She, at this point, quit looking for Jacob for her fulfillment. She got her eyes off of Jacob, and I'm not saying it's wrong for a wife to have her affections toward her husband. We should have that. But ultimately, that fulfillment needs to be found in Christ. This is a lesson that we almost all must learn in this life. Although we may have many people who love us and, and those whom we love, No one person can fulfill our every need. Therefore, we each must come to the realization that we have to have this fulfillment in Christ Jesus, who is worthy of our praise. And by the way, if you know your genealogy of Jesus Christ, he comes through Jacob, through his fourth-born son, Judah, who becomes the kingly line in Israel. So that closes out chapter 29 and we get into chapter 30. The key verse. Ha, how interesting. So I. 30, 30. 30, 30 vision here. That's not good vision, is it? Key verse. Chapter 30, verse 30. For what you have before I came was little. And it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So this is really the Lord has blessed you. Jacob acknowledged that the blessing, his, the work of his hands, was because of God. He told Uncle Laban, the Lord has blessed you. Because of my coming, it's the Lord who blessed you. And so I titled this chapter, Giving God the Glory. When Jacob began his journey from the east, or to the east, from the west, he was on the run from his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. In fact, he had told others that when our father Isaac is dead, I'm going to kill my brother. So Mama sent Jacob away. And the only possession that he took with him was his staff. Maybe he had, you know, a hobo's bag with him with a little food for the journey. But all we read about in Genesis 32.10 that he had a staff. And by the end of this chapter, he will have the wealth of four wives, 11 sons, at least one daughter, large flocks, female and male servants, 
camels and donkeys. God made him, verse 43, we will see, made him exceedingly prosperous, partially fulfilling the vow that God had made to him that he would keep him wherever he would go and bring him back to the promised land. Right now, he's keeping him wherever he had gone there in the east with Uncle Laban. And soon we will read, beginning next week, of his going back to the promised land. But we begin the chapter with the sisters' rivalry taking place. In fact, Jacob gets two more brides. In verses 1 through 5, it tells us, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now, what's a guy to do in that situation? It's like, woman, am I God? I can't do this. And that's what he says in verse 2. Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so she said, here is my maid, Bilhah. Go in with her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. And so she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. So it just uh, it gets larger and larger. But God's going to work through all of this craziness. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we will be introduced to men who have multiple wives, but this was not God's best for them. Multiple wives meant multiple problems, of which Jacob is finding out. Very quickly. Uh, my dad's, I don't know why he was on this kick, but my dad's good friend, Joe, last time we were visiting Lily and I and the kids down in Mississippi, visiting Joe and his uh, family there, he kept talking about, you know, the Bible doesn't say we can't have more than one wife. So I don't know, Joe at that time was probably in his late 70s, um, but I'm thinking, what are you, planning on marrying again? Why is this such a big issue? He talked about it a bit. It is not God's best plan. In fact, I would argue that God had a better way. God's template for marriage is found in the book of Genesis. There was the very first wedding with Adam and Eve. And according to God's mathematics concerning mankind, two will equal one. The two became one flesh. Two equal one. The two become one flesh. But nowhere does it say the multiple of three, and in a moment we'll learn four, will be one flesh. There's no oneness in that at all. In fact, this message still needs to be heard in our nation today. In Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And if Jacob receiving Bilhah, his third wife, happened after receiving her, Leah had already had four sons, so at least four years had passed, probably longer. And now both Leah and Rachel are not bearing children. And also, uh, Leah had already had a daughter. So that easily gets it to five years at this point. I do believe that there's some overlapping that takes place that we're not quite getting. But Rachel says, 
with the birth of this son, not her son, but her maid's son. God has judged, verse 6, my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. So the key there, God has judged, and that goes with the name Dan. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again, bore Jacob a son, a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And so the wrestling is the key that goes with the name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob. Now he's got four wives. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop comes. And she called his name Gad. And so troop connected with the name Gad there. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And so blessed, a key in his name. It continues. Now Reuben, a young boy at this time, no doubt. Verse 14, he went out in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field brought them to his mother, Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? So wait a minute. Rachel could have said, wait, he worked for me for seven years and you took him from me. But we won't go there. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrake. So apparently, you got to think, you got four wives. You got to have a schedule, right? You got to have a schedule. And Rachel's like, it's my turn to be with Jacob tonight. You can be with Jacob. Just give me the mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field and he's working hard all day thinking, Rachel's waiting for me when I get home tonight. Another switcheroo day for Jacob. He comes home to learn that it's Leah that he would be with. Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in with me. For I have surely hired you <laughs> for my son's mandrakes. This is so crazy. And he laid with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, verse 18, God is giving me my wages, wages the key there, because he has given me my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, verse 20, God has endowed me with a good endowment for now my husband will dwell with me because I bore him six sons. She's still looking for Jacob. She not got the love from Jacob that she has desired even though at this point, six sons, two by her handmaid, and at least one daughter had been birthed to her. Got nine kids running around, but still she's, now my husband will dwell with me. So she named him Zubalin. And afterwards, she bore the daughter, here's the daughter, called his name Dinah, her name Dinah. Sorry about that. No gender switching here in the Bible. 
It's a girl. Her name is Dinah. So the mandrakes were thought to have the power of fertility. And this is something that Rachel deeply desired. Even though she said, I've wrestled with my sister and I've overcome her, the two sons that were given to her actually came from her handmaid. And it wasn't the same and she knew it. She may have had a surrogate mother give birth to two sons for her, but she had not yet had a child. The mandrakes are only mentioned in one other place in the Bible. It's in the Song of Solomon 7.13 where it says, The mandrakes give off a fragrance at our gates, our pleasant fruits, all manners, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. So we know the Song of Solomon, a very uh, emotionally charged book in the Bible. The mandrakes give off their fragrance. So connected with love, a husband and a wife there as well. After Reuben found the mandrakes, brought them to his mother, Leah would conceive two more sons, Ishishar, Zubalan, and a daughter, Dinah. While Jacob may have had many other daughters, Dinah will play into the story when he gets back to the promised land. Finally, verse 22 through 24, the Lord remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. Had nothing to do with the mandrakes. The Bible wants to be clear on this. It was God who heard the cry of Rachel. She conceived and bore a son, and she said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Finally, we're told of Rachel giving birth to Joseph. Now, it's no surprise. Jacob had a favorite wife. Her name was Rachel. He worked seven years that he could be with her and then was deceived, given a different wife, and didn't know it until the next morning, which is crazy to think about. But he ended up with four wives, but still Rachel was his favorite. So it's not surprising that Joseph became a favorite son, which would cause Joseph some great headaches. But ultimately, Joseph would become the savior of his people. As it says in Acts 7, verses 9 and 10, the patriarchs, becoming envious of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him delivered him out of all of his troubles, gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he was made governor over Egypt and all his house. So that's later in the story, but Joseph becomes his daddy's favorite. And that causes problems as well. I learned this lesson from my mom, and I'm sure she had her favorites, I have one sister that always says to me that I'm her, she says, I'm your favorite sister. And so I, I don't get into, I have three sisters, so I don't get into kind of getting a rivalry going between them, but she likes to sign emails, your favorite sister. <laughs> My mom did well with our grandkids, and I'm sure she had favorites. I know that she liked my oldest niece and our daughter Melissa a lot because she ended up caring for them, babysitting. While Lily was working with Melissa, Melissa kind of grew up around mom's house. So they got really close. They got really attached. 
But when it came to birthdays and Christmas, my mom got out the ledger and everything was equal, 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 equal shares for the kids. There were no special presents, no special gifts, although they may have came at time or two. But at Christmas time, the same amount was spent on every grandchild and they all felt the love of grandma and grandpa. Actually, it was mama and papa, but um, that was my mom. She taught well in that way. Verses 25 through 30, it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service for which I have done for you. And Laban said, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, earlier, Jacob said, the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now Laban's admitting it, that God has blessed me for your sake because of you. So please stay. So Jacob said, verse 29, you know how I have served you, how your livestock has been with me. For what you have before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I provide for my own house? So this took place, it tells us, after Rachel bore Joseph. So all these sons, uh, at this point there's 11 sons and one daughter that we know of. And Jacob says, I'm out of here. So... Get this, he served seven years for Rachel, didn't get Rachel, but married Leah unknowingly, waited a week, married Rachel, 14 years is up now, and he has 11 sons and at least one daughter. That's why I said some of this might overlap, but Joseph, again, when he seats his brothers in the future there in Egypt, in order from older to youngest, and they're amazed that he set them in order. These boys were all within seven years of one another, 11 of them, very close, except for Benjamin, who has not yet been birthed. So a lot of little boys running around at this point. And after 14 years of service, he said, let me go. I'm ready to go home. So they end up, arranging a new contract. He said, what shall I give you? Verse 31. And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. For if you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckle, all the spotted sheep, all the brown ones among the lambs, the spotted and the speckle among the goats. These shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come. When the subject of my wages come before you, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats or brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your words. So that's what took place. He, he cut out all the spotted, all the speckled, all the brown lambs of the sheep and the goats. He separated them, we'll learn here, 
separated them by distance, and these became the wages of Jacob. It's pretty amazing because these were actually the unwanted. You know, when you go to the county fairs, it's usually not the speckle and spotted that's winning the grand prize, the first place ribbons. They're looking for pure breeds, those that are without spot and blemish. And Jacob said, give me all your spots. Give me all the blemishes. That'll be my wages. And of course, it would be easy to determine um, if he held true to that. And so it was, verse 35, that day he removed the male goats that were speckled and spotted, the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, all the brown ones among the lambs, gave them to the hands of his sons. Remember I said that shepherds were pretty young? They're like seven years old. Here you go, boys. Go take the flock out. They were already working the fields. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of almond and of chestnut trees. He peeled white strips in them. He exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they would conceive when they came to drink. So he's trying to help out the birthing process here. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Now again, I think God was in all this, but he really understands. Again, we learned that Jacob, he knew husbandry. He knew how to work with animals. Then Jacob separated the lambs, made the flocks face toward the streaks, and all the browns of the flock of Laban, and he put them in his own flock by themselves, did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. And when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's, the stronger were Jacob's. And thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So six years, he became very wealthy, but he was also using a lot of wisdom. He separated, yes, the spotted, the speckled, the brown from his Uncle Laban, but he also used some wisdom in making sure that the sheep and the goats were producing spotted, speckled and brown and that he was getting the stronger of the herd. What if Jacob never became exceedingly prosperous? Would have God failed him in any way? I don't believe so because the Lord had promised to be with him and keep him wherever he went. And it's a promise that we also have from the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Hebrews 13:5, For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Finally, the diversity of Jacob's flock consisting of the sheep and the goats, the spotted, the speckled, the brown, really speaks about the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. Where in Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave or free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew 11.28-30, 
Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And may it be that the Lord would give us rest from our labors as we put our faith in Jesus. I'm not saying that we should not labor, should not work, provide for ourselves, for our families. But we need to find that true rest that comes in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here on Wednesday evenings, we have the ABCs of salvation that we have been running through. Just a brief plan of salvation that you can share with others as well. It's one of the reasons I keep repeating it. I want you to realize how easy it is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. The A stands for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in 1 John 1.9, it tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. Seek that forgiveness. We also, the B stands for belief. We need to believe in the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and that he is coming again. We need to receive that gift of salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I tripped up because I said the word demonstrated, and it actually said demonstrate. It's uh, present tense, not something that happened in the past, although as we look back at it, God demonstrated his great love through Jesus dying on the cross. But the verse actually says God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The C is for confession. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share your faith with others. The Bible tells us, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The ABCs of salvation, you have to admit Believe and confess. If you pray or would like to pray to receive Christ, if you have questions, if you're listening online or on the radio tonight, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we're in the book of Revelation once again, chapter 14. I titled this, not from... Revelation, it talks about harvesting in the book of Revelation. So I titled it actually from the Gospels, The Lord of the Harvest. And we're going to see how the Lord Jesus interacts with the harvest of the last days in Revelation 14. This coming Sunday, uh, you can come and worship with us here at the church uh, through the radio ministry or live on Facebook. If you'd like to support our ministry, of course, you can go to our website at cclv.org. You can find out information 
about our church there and supporting our ministry. We're so grateful for those who support this ministry, enable us to uh, continue to exist, for one, but also to share the love of Christ with others. So let's stand and go to prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Quite a bit happening in Jacob's life. They're setting up, at this point, 11 sons, one daughter, but setting up the 12 sons that he would ultimately have who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So, Lord, getting the backstory of that and also learning some lessons of how those who uh, like to deceive others, sometimes they get deceived. But, Lord, we also find that those who put their hope in you can find blessing from you. Even in our twisted lives, when we make mistakes and we do dumb things, and we get ourselves in situations that just seem to go on for years and years for Jacob, it would ultimately go on for 20 years of dealing with his uncle Laban. But Lord, in the process of all that, you greatly blessed him. Lord, be our blessing tonight. We thank you for sending your son Jesus. I pray, Lord, that all who hear my voice know him as Savior. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.